All right. Welcome to the first OverthinkingIt.com podcast. Hi, Mom. How you doing? I am Matt Rather. And I'm uh, Matt Belinky. Matt Belinky. We're the two, Matt's two founding writers on OverthinkingIt.com. And this podcast is an experiment. And if it's successful, maybe we'll do more of them. But it's the first time we've done them. So thank you for your indulgence in technical matters and things like that. Right. If you're listening to this, I feel like we've already won, actually, just because we managed to get it to that stage. Right, exactly. And, well, there's there's actually been two steps. We've gotten it to that stage, and then they've downloaded it. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. That, like, There's so many technical hurdles between now and when anyone listens to it that I feel like you know, I could pretty much just, just talk trash about the other members of the blog, and like, it would really never get back to that. That 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 uh that Stokes that Stokes and that Fenzel they really don't carry their weight with posting, do they? Yeah, Those I should guys. mention that uh that uh, Stokes is actually supposed to be part of this podcast, but apparently he has more important things to do than uh, participate in the blog, such as uh, study for his uh, for his whatever reason. He's in some sort of school now. Isn't it funny like that a master's uh, program? But it might not even be. Isn't it? Yeah, right. Exactly. He may he may be pursuing a master's in ethnomusicology or or something, uh, concentrating. That's about in, right. I mean, that really sounds familiar, but like you know, I might be conflating him with like fictional characters I've heard about at one point or another. We're here to talk about the Oscar-nominated short films, the live-action shorts nominated for Oscars. Now, I read that this is playing, that this program actually, and this may be the first time, is actually playing in dozens of cities, and it's been released by Magnolia Films or Magnolia Pictures or some such, uh, that they've put together these two programs of the animated live-action shorts, and that, you know, they're releasing them across the country. Uh, now, I've never seen the Oscar-nominated short films before, and I've always sort of made up my mind based on the, you know, 10-second uh, clips that they play right before the award is announced. But this was not your first time, was it, Matt, seeing the, the Oscar-nominated shorts? No, and I actually wanted to mention, I had seen this program last year, you know, the, the Oscar-nominated shorts, and I thought it was... Uh, it was interesting that, like, you know, when I went to see it, four of them uh, were pretty serious films. There was, uh, you know, uh, something about a, a Mormon that was going door to door trying to confront people. Uh, there was a, the, I think, I think the, the big sort of serious one, the one that we at the screening kind of thought had the inside track, was uh, one from Africa that was about these sort of serious problems of, like, women, uh, girls not being allowed to go to school. So it was sort of like a, a tragio comedy, or uh, I guess a dramedy is the preferred term. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I think anything in a foreign language you figure, like, has a heads up in this category, because, like, you know, you figure, I, I don't know, like, you know, maybe this is just me, but, like, if a film is in a foreign language, I figure it's a little bit better than, like, if the same film were performed in English. Like, I just sort of assume that it's a better film because, like, it's in, like, it's in, like, Esperanto or something. Um, but one of the, the fifth film was this thing, West Bank Story, which um, actually ended up winning. And it was the most, uh, I mean, it was very funny. It's a spoof, almost like a Zucker's Brother-esque uh, spoof of sort of West Side Story, but then of the West Bank of Israel. And uh, the plot's even more ridiculous than that. It actually involves two rival fast food stands that open up next to each other. There's the Hummus Hut, uh, which is the Palestinian uh, Hummus Shack, and the Kosher King, which is the Jewish falafel shack. And then they have this rivalry. And it's sort of like, you know, this... Uh, and then, of course, there's a, a love story. And there are literally songs and dances and everything. Um, 
and it ended up winning. And I mean, obviously, in, in real life, uh, the last comedy to be nominated for Best Picture. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The, la- the last comedy to win Best Picture was Annie Hall. You know, uh, which is obviously, I believe, in the 70s. Yeah. Although I am very weak on anything that happened before 1990. I really don't remember it. I'll put it together. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, and clearly, like, nothing that's, like, a, a straight-up spoof has ever won Best Picture. So, right, like, right. Spaceballs well, Best well, Picture. I'm going to propose that, like, maybe when we, we take it to our discussion of the current nominees, is that, like, the rules uh, that, that govern me be longer Nominees don't really apply here. 1977, like, Annie Hall. 1977. Do you use Google, or are you just trying to show off how much you know? I just no, I just IMDb. <laughs> I just IMDb'd it while you're while you while you were talking. But you're saying that the game has changed essentially. The Oscar. No, I'm, well, I mean, yeah, I'm saying that for live action short films. That like <laughs> I, I I would say that somehow. Maybe when the voters are, are looking at the short films, they're sort of like more inclined to reward sheer entertainment value rather than like epic filmmaking. Like, let's say story, while like a very competent film, you know, wasn't going to win any awards for like cinematography or acting, you know, but like the, the fact that like it made people laugh and it had some like fun sort of like musical numbers in it. Uh, was enough to like give it the victory over like clearly much more like serious and artsy productions. So like I don't I, I think you know that might be something that factors into our discussion of like the current nominees. Okay, well let's get to let's get to it. We have two comedies, uh, one sort of touching comedy, and then two dramas. But we start uh, with you, I think, Matt, because we'll go in yeah, the order I... that we saw them in the in the screening that's been released. Right. And I'd like to point out that I'm reading off of the IMDb page that lists the nominees. And at the very uh, at the very top of the page, you have like you know the, the nominees for best feature and best female lead actress, which have uh, you know thumbnails of the posters of the movie you know lined up in a, in a little line of five. And then as you scroll further down the page, you have you know when you get to best uh, original screenplay, uh, best cinematography. And you get uh, even smaller thumbnails of the posters uh, down, you know, next to the lines. And then at the very bottom of the page, there's, um, there, there's you know, the, the best documentary short subjects, best short film animated, and finally best short film live action. So there's no posters whatsoever. It's literally just like this sort of squall. So it's literally the very last category on the IMDb page. Just wanted to point that out. Right. Just a little what we're doing tonight. Right, you know, absolutely. Showing up to everyone's time. Well, that's, that's the, the, the theme of the blog is to elevate what doesn't deserve scrutiny to, uh, to a high level of scrutiny. So, you know, I think we're just yeah. fulfilling the mission. So anyway, the, the first film, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, it is a Belgian film, and I believe it's called, uh, in, um, all right, I'm going to say it in English first. Uh, I believe it, it, it would be called uh, the Argentine Tango, yep. or the Argentinian Tango. In Belgian, the best I can figure out is like Tangi Argentini. Is there a language like Belgian? Is that a language? No, they speak French. They speak, they speak French in Belgium. Okay, fine. Or, so, or, so or Dutch, Are you telling right? me that like, all these years I assumed there was a language called Belgian and there's no such language? I'm afraid. I'm afraid there may not be. How did this never come up before now? Like, how did nobody ever laugh at me? Wow, it is. Unfortunately, uh, this is being recorded. Have you seen In Bruges? 
I did see in Bruce actually, but they only really speak English during that. So oh yeah, there are no point. there are no Belgians, really no Belgian. I really don't recall very many, and and if there was any any Belgian speaking there, I kind of assumed I'm like, oh, that's what Belgian sounds this like. This is from Wikipedia, so it must be true. The official languages of Belgium are Dutch, French, and German. Well, uh, you learn something new every day. Uh, moving on, and I'll point out, I, I don't understand the rules uh, of the Academy Awards. I don't plan to understand them, but this film is actually uh, dated 2006 on uh, IMDb, which I would think means that like it should have been in last year's Academy Awards. But anyway, uh, the plot of this, in a, in a nutshell, is uh, it centers on this sort of um, sort of middle-aged, uh, frumpy, uh, sort of a, a Belgian Paul Giamatti type is a sort of a, a clerk in an office. And we see him at the beginning chatting with a woman online and agreeing to take her to uh, a dance, to dance the, the tango at a, at a formal dance in two weeks' time. And then he goes to another man at his office and, uh, and who is a... You know, he says he knows he's a dancer, and he wants to learn the tango because he probably take this girl. He doesn't know how to dance. And the, the other man is at first reluctant to teach him and sort of, like, brushes him off. But the first guy, the, the, which I'm going to call uh, Belgian Giamatti, Belgian Giamatti is very insistent. Um, and so, uh, finally, the, the, uh, the other guy who is, uh, is bald, so I'm going to call him Belgian uh, Telly Savalas. Right. So I realize that reference is, like, way outside our demographic. But, <laughs> so, Belgian Savalas and uh, Belgian Giamatti then go into a tinkle learning montage, which is uh, very amusing. I mean, you know, it sort of centers on the, the you know, the... I don't know. I and mean, it's a little bit of like a cheap shot just to be like two men dancing together. That's so wacky. Like, for instance, I actually seem to recall an episode of Friends back in the day where Joey had to learn to dance the tango. And, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. That somehow Joey owed a favor to his landlord, who was like this sort of mustachioed, frumpy guy. And uh, the landlord wanted like a dancing partner to learn dancing. And so, like, the whole sort of subplot of the episode was like Joey and the frumpy landlord were like learning to ballroom dance. Right. And, and hilarity. And so basically, well, yeah, but like, we, all, we all borrow from the masters. I mean, we all borrow from the classics. And, you know. Right, but I'm saying, like, why not nominate that episode of Friends for an Academy Award? <laughs> but it, um, so anyway, they, they learned that, um, man, this podcast is going to take forever. Let me, let me see if I can, I can summarize the rest of the uh, they They will go to the dance. I actually question why uh, Belgian Cervales would go to the dance. I guess just to, like, root on his protege from the sort of side of the room. And uh, Belgian Giamatti uh, meets the girl. Costumed, uh, costumed identically. They're wearing the same suit and tie and everything in the... In the... They, they, yeah, they are. They're wearing, they're wearing a very sort of sharp, which I assume is, is, is a authentic tango out attire, or at least in Belgium passes as authentic tango attire. Sure. Um, and, uh, and so Belgian Giamatti does, in fact, sort of get the tango with the girl. Um, with mixed success for a while, but then uh, catastrophe, he actually drops her during a climactic moment on the dance floor, and it's sort of uh, crushing. The, the girl was very disappointed because, like, she it, it's made clear during the scene that the tango is not merely, like, just something amusing to do on the first date, but rather, like, her passion in life and, like, finding a tango partner is more important to her than finding a sex partner. So um, she walks off the dance floor dejected, and Belgian Giamatti goes to Belgian Savalas and tells her that, like, because he cares so much about this girl based on their online flirtation, he wants Belgian Savalas to dance with her. Because he, he cares 
more that she she'd be happy and she'd find a dance partner than that he'd be the one who gets her. And and Donna Savalas does take her and they tango together. Uh and so then the the next day at work, um, Belga Savalas is very happy because they've, you know, really hit it off and they're sort of presumably going to be a couple. Um and then, you know, Belga Giamatti seems a little, you know, wistful about the outcome. And then the spoiler alert, by the way, for anybody who's planning to see this. Spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. We should have like a little a female voice being like, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler. Um, Belgian uh, Giamatti pulls out a list of the names of all the people in the office and crosses that guy's name off and then goes to the next guy on the list and, and because it's sort of similar scheme, but that guy's dream is to be a poet. So he's sort of like, oh, there's a girl online and she, she's, you know, was so impressed by poetry and I don't know how to write and you know how to, so the, the assumption is that like he's sort of being, he's paying it forward and being a good guy by like um, sort of fooling the people in his office into falling in love. Um, through these harebrained schemes, um, and it was it was a very okay. I'm, I'm, I'll let I'll let Matt actually you know sort of editorialize on it first. So it's a shaggy dog story, right? Because it's you know it kind of leads you down the garden path in that you think that he is you know actually in love with a woman, and it turns out it was all an elaborate plot to set his uh, tango tutor up with the woman as a Christmas present for the tango tutor. So there's, I mean, it's a clever twist at the end. It's one I didn't see coming because it's played entirely straight. And though, you know, sometimes that's a cheap shot, I think it's a short enough movie and it's a charming enough movie that it it pulls it off. It's very well acted. It's well shot. Uh, It has, you know really sort of funny moments of choreography where they're... I, I don't think it's just that they're two men together dancing that's funny. I think that it's like... I mean, they're, they're, they're all sort of funny-looking men in their own sort of <laughs> right, Giamatti phenomenon. Right, ways. right. Giamatti and, you know, Patrick Stewart or something, or Giamatti and, like... I. Oh, I don't even I don't even know. Jamali and Michael Michael like, Michael Chickless or something. A he's taller like the Mike... guy and, and I almost hesitate to make this reference, but like you know the guy that Charlotte eventually marries on Sex of the City? Right, but taller. Yes, a, a tall version of uh, uh Mr. Charlotte. Right. And same actor That's played Doug the speechwriter on the West Wing. Yeah, sorry. See, it's it's. I feel ashamed that like I know Sex for the City, and then I'm like the West. What? <laughs> yeah, no. Same same bald guy with that, and he has that look. It's very. He's he's bald. Um, yeah, he's very shame. bald and shiny. I think I you know I think it's totally charming and totally totally pulls it off. I had a great time. I did not know that uh, the tango was so big in Belgium. Or, or certainly that there's like a like a, a tango subculture in Belgium. Underground. I mean, I, yeah. I I wonder if there's if there's like a um, if the tango somehow there is viewed differently than it is in the United States, and like it seems like much more of like a bizarre thing, you know, to a Belgian audience, or or if it's like pretty much like around the world, the tango is known as like a seductive ballroom dance of love, and like right. I think college it... kids around the world like you know learn it with their dates. Yeah, the same you know? way. The same way that, and I think that you're supposed to buy. I don't know about the the subculture, but I think you buy it the way that the way that there's a subculture of like kids who do swing dancing, you know, and who dress right. up in the who dress up in the outfits from the '40s and listen to the you know big band music and and. Uh, you know, learn the learn the steps and get you know very good to it, good at it and into it. 
Yeah, no, no, I, th- I think I think you know we we both agree this is a very likable film, not the most serious film in the world, but like it's sort of like I don't know, it might, might be like if I had to compare it to one of the best picture nominees, like you know of the, the long best picture nominees, it's kind of like you know Juno, although in, in that like it's sort of like likable, it's entertaining, it's just serious enough to take seriously, but like it's basically just out to like sort of make you smile. Right. I didn't actually speak, you know, but that's my impression of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it also has it has an aspect of kind of a, a touching aspect at the end where you're like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. I should point out it's sort of set around the holidays, and I feel like it has some of that sort of like uh, heartwarming vibe that you expect from like a movie, you know, that has like a Christmas tree in the background. Hey, you must have majored in Segway at school because that takes us to uh, the second film in the series, Om Naten, or At Night in English. Uh, which but, had. I'm mean, assuming you pronounced better than I pronounced the first. No, I don't, I'm just reading it off IMDb. It could be Om Naten or something, you know, something ridiculous. And it's some, uh, some sort of, some again, some sort of Northern European, you know. Den- Denmark, uh, it says. Oh, okay, Denmark. The language is da- is Danish. Yeah, no, it says it says the language is Danish on IMDb. It also points out the movie is longer than I remember. According to IMDb, the movie is thirty nine minutes long, which actually to me raises the question of what's the what's the cutoff? The cutoff is forty for like minutes. Short film. It's forty minutes for the Oscars, so this is just making it in under the wire. Which I see at that point, you gotta wonder, like when are like the original cut was like forty four minutes, and they're like, oh, we gotta like trim a couple scenes just to get it, you know, within seconds, barely under the running time to submit it. This is not a movie that wanted for long, you know, long lingering shots. It focuses on three teenage girls uh, dying of cancer, hospitalized with cancer in a cancer ward and focuses especially on their relationships with each other and their activities at night when the parents go home though i mean the parents are there sort of to you know tragic and poignant effect uh when the parents go home you know and the nurses aren't watching too much they celebrate and it's said again around the holidays they celebrate new years uh they do it a night early because one of them is going to have uh, a very risky surgery on uh, New Year's Eve. So they celebrate, they have champagne, they bicker, they you know gossip with each other, they giggle. And really, r- rather than anything happening, though you know the, the, the outcome is very sad because they don't all make it. Uh, it's sort of uh, the, the film focuses more on the texture of life. Uh, in this situation, under these, you know, uh, with this terrible burden, under these circumstances, and in this place, and I think that for, well, I I should turn it over to you to editorialize, but I'll just say rather than being sort of clever or well written, I think that that this was extremely well acted. I thought all three of the girls were great, and um, and you know, really did in in the sort of slow, like, glacial aspect of the shots, really did communicate that sense of being, you know, being on this ward where sort of nothing happens and there's nothing to do at the tender age of 19 but contemplate your own mortality and j- just the the sort of terrible unfairness of that and the, the uh, terrible sadness of it. Yeah, no, that, that, that summarizes it very well. Um... Let me say a couple of thoughts to begin with. This is a movie that that 
sort of centers on like the relationship between like three, I guess I wouldn't say teenage, but like youngish uh, girls, and you know, like you know what they do at night when everyone goes home. I am not entirely kidding when I say that like I was waiting for the whole lesbian subplot to come out. <laughs> oh, dude. Um, but, no, well, I'm, I'm serious. It's like three girls are like on the verge of death. And it's like, you kind of expect them, like, you know, you know, one of them to be like, you know, I've never even been kissed. It sort of, like, looks meaningfully at the other one. It's like, it's like then, then, you know, maybe you should be. It's New Year's Eve. We all think, I, I seriously was sitting there, I'm like, oh, it's New Year's Eve. they got to kiss someone at midnight. Gee, I wonder who they're going to kiss. Them. And basically, like, <laughs> That's where your mind goes. Not... Girls dying tragically of cancer, and you're wondering when the hot stuff is going to start. No, I didn't even think it was going to be hot. I thought it would be, like, this sort of, like, really serious treatment of, like, you know, I don't, I don't know, just the, you know, the, the idea that sort of, like, you know, the, the, the bond between, like, people sharing something that no outsider could understand sort of spilling over into something that's sort of physical. So it was, I mean, you know, not not to try to take back some of my, my, my credibility as like, a decent human being as opposed to, like, somebody who wants to see cancer patients make out. But, like, it was a, very much a movie that, like, focused on, like, the physical, like, people's bodies and, like, the way people look and, like, the changes that they're physically going through. And I almost expected there to be, like, you know, more physical contact between the characters. Uh, in their vaginas. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I did, I, I'm honestly not sure whether I would have liked the movie more or less had there been, like, some degree of, like, make-out. Um, and I also I also will point out that, like, um, without elaborating on it, that the New Year's Eve party between the three uh, dying cancer patients, uh, that would not have been the worst New Year's Eve party I've ever been to. <laughs> uh, and I won't, I won't go any further than that. I actually uh, didn't like this probably as much as anyone else, but because I have Ash for a soul. Uh, to me, this is just so... It was like Oscar pay. Like, if you sat down and you're like, I'm going to make a fucking short film to be nominated for that. <laughs> you're like, young women fucking dying. Yeah. Girls. Their whole life ahead of them. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, Extras. There's one episode with uh, Kate Winslet, and she's making a Holocaust film where she plays a nun, and she's, like, you know, hiding people from the Nazis. And somebody asked her, like, you know, why why was it so important to you to do this film? And she was like, well, like, I really want an Academy Award. And it just seems that, like, you either have, like, two ways to go. You can either play, like, a retard or <laughs> be in, like, a ho- or, like, have a bunch of Nazis kill you. You know, and I, I didn't, I can't do retard, so, like, you know, I just decided to go that way. Right. So, um, and, and I almost feel like that's what these people did. It's like, it was so sort of melodrama, so sort of lifetime movie of the week. Better than lifetime movie of the week, but still, like, at its core, it's sort of like uh, women confronting death and being buttressed by their own strength and I'll, beauty. I'll say, though, I'll say, though, that a lifetime movie of the week would have had either like some kind of tearful reconciliation, which is hinted at at the end with the one girl who's estranged from her parents, but we never actually see, you know, or like, or a lesson. They they would have said, they would have had some, some sort of like, you know, and, you know, and that's why you should value every, you know, every moment on earth that you have. Uh, Though I suppose, though I suppose one girl leaves a note for... Yeah, that basically says. I feel like Matt, in defending the movie, actually managed to like uh, basically <laughs> quote from the movie um, 
in, in, in an unflattering light. Detract- but, like, one girl actually leaves a note that is discovered after her death, which is, like, you got to go live for... And I'm, I'm assuming that, like, um, they just, like, didn't um, have enough money to license that song where it's like, you know, I hope you dance. <laughs> I hope you dance. You know, you know, know they had to see she's like running along the beach of slow motion being like, I'm still alive and first long as alive. Yeah, but I'm she does. Gonna waste another you know, day. She does still have cancer. Right. And like at the end of the movie, it's, you know, cancer two, pretty young girls one. So, you know, right, the, soon to be zero. I mean, like the chance it definitely wins, but I don't feel like that necessarily makes it. But like, I'm still thinking like at its core, it's I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, like, like I'm saying that, like, I have a very low tolerance for, for human emotion. And so that, like, maybe I just sort of, like, shut down really early in the film, and I was just waiting for, like, another scene of men dancing together to, like, get my heart pounding again. But uh, it just really didn't. I'm going to go ahead and straight up root against this one. Wow. Uh, just because I, I, I don't like uh, good films to succeed. And, and again, I think that, you know, if it fell down for me, it fell down in the writing. But I thought that, that the acting was great from the three girls and the direction you know, direction was, was, you know, appropriate to the material. I will say, though, that, that the one girl who was bald was wearing a bald cap. She had eyebrows still. And, you know, if you've ever met anyone who's undergone uh, chemo radi- or radiation treatments, it, you lose all your body hair. So, uh, you know, there was some concession to glamour. I, suppose, I mean, if eyebrows are your biggest problem with the film, then, like, why don't you just marry it? Anyway, what's the, what's the next film on our list? The Substitute. This is Italian, so I should be able to pronounce it, because like, it's, it's like a real language. It's not one of those made-up... <laughs> with, uh, with slashes through the... Suplente, The Substitute. Right. The comedy that focuses very strongly on uh, the lead character, who I believe is also the writer-director. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. I'm, I'm a little too lazy to double-check it. Um. And actually, the IMDb page does not have a castle, so I can't check it. Yeah, so there you go. So no way to know. So that's what we'll say. No, I mean, I could go to another site, but honestly, you know, whatever. I'm holding a phone in one hand, and I'm really not willing to multitask that much. It is, uh, it it starts with, you know, if I watched it again, I'd say, like, it's fairly, it's not impressive, at least, a sort of, like, a clever and appreciated tracking shot through a school that sort of, like, drifts over to different clubs of students who are each having their own sort of comical vignette of, like, uh, you know, I'm a teenager. A little, uh, a little contrived, right? It didn't, it didn't quite capture that freaks and geeks kind of naturalism, you know, of the tracking Yeah, shot. I mean, it, it's a little high school musical, and it's sort of, like, you know, staginess. But, um, and, and so basically, like, the class uh, gathers, and then... Uh, they are approached by, like, you know, I, I, I guess I'd, I'd say that, like, you know, he's maybe an early 30s-ish man in, like, a suit who introduces himself as the substitute teacher. Um, and then and in, in the next, the film unfolds uh, in real time. And uh, for the next, like, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, five to ten minutes of class, he, uh, man, how to describe this? He basically does, like, a younger Benini, sort of like this sort of, like, Benini, Manic energy. Clowning. He unleashes. He kicking the ball of of a fat kid in the class. And then when the fat kid asks for his ball back, he, like, makes fun of the kid's weight. And when the fat kid continues to ask for his ball back, he goes over and actually eats the kid's lunch right in front of him. (laughs) Not metaphorically. 
Like, like actually, he eats the kid's lunch. No, no, he actually does, like, you know, like, shove an entire donut in his mouth and, like, swallow it and, like, in a, you know, with eyes bulging, uh, you know, and sort of cackling in glee. Uh, and then, you know, what, what, what are some of the other antics scenes? Because he, he, uh, he spots a kid that he immediately identifies as the sort of class brown dozer, and uh, he, he uh, offers to give this kid a high grade in exchange if the kid will uh, actually do an impression of a snake right there in class, and the kid does. And then he gives him and then he gives him demands of, like, you know, the people. He'll just sort of, like... Point at, point at somebody and like ask them to do something ridiculous. And anarchy. They all they all start like anar like acting crazy and anarchy. At one point, one of the students is locked in a in a you know like a wardrobe, a freestanding wardrobe, and everyone else shakes it and and this sort of thing. And then this is interrupted by the principal or the real right, teacher. So the, pr- the principal comes in uh, and looks around, and you expect it to be like you know. Like, you know, Mr. Substitute, like, you know, we expect a higher level of discipline at this class, but he looks at the substitute sort of blankly and just says, uh, who are you? At which point the substitute actually goes over to the window, opens it, and jumps out it, which is not as, as dark as it seems because the school is only on, like, the first or second floor, and the guy right. lands harmlessly on the pavement and actually runs away. Right. Um, at which point the, the, the film... Depending on like what you say, it, it goes in and it continues a little longer than you expected to continue to. It would be enough to like reveal that this guy is just a normal guy, like to pretend he's a substitute teacher to like torture and or amuse himself with kids. But also but to actually... also to sort of break up the tedium of his, of his adult life, which is you know sort of compromised and dull and boring. Right. So so basically, the the the, the last part of the film, he goes back to an office, which turns out to be directly uh, around the block. He maybe sort of explains it in a way that like his office actually looks into the classroom that he was just at. Right. Um, and, uh, and and so he goes back to the office. There are all sorts of uh, big wigs waiting for some sort of contract negotiation, and he begins to like uh, lead the business meeting. At which point, the fat kid from the class who took his ball earlier. Um, uh, like storms into the business meeting and like demands the ball back, um, and then and, and then there's there's a little uh, a coda at the end that I don't know if I can adequately explain. Basically involving the idea that somebody at the business meeting asked for the ball, like because somehow it, it is signed by somebody who I assume if you were Italian would have significance to you, like the greatest Italian hockey sack player or something. Soccer player. Um, He's a it was probably a football yeah. player. Soccer. Yeah, it's a little little soccer ball, and it's signed by a real soccer player. Um, and the guy in the business meeting is like, whoa, that's signed by what's his, you know, can I have that? And then echoing something that happened earlier in the class where the guy, the one student who stood up to him in the class and refused to sort of like uh, dance to to his uh, that organ grinder music, is this sort of a, a girl writing poetry over by the window, who refused to, like, hand over her poem to him, even when he offered her a high grade. And sort of exactly sort of screwing that moment in the film, he refuses to hand over the ball. So, I mean, I, I guess what I was supposed to take of it is that, like, he finds the kids, like, you know, inspiring on some level that, like, you know, he chooses to, like, um, model himself after them. Right, and that, 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 like, that example of, like, you know, innocent strength of character in the, you know, in the artsy girl who writes poetry in her book but won't show him, you know, inspires him in this sort of compromised, tedious adult life to defy, you know, a bigwig, to defy authority, and that that is like a, I think, a tiny moral victory for him. Though, you yeah. know... Yeah, and, and so just, uh, I would mention, I know it probably doesn't matter to, like, anyone else who, um, 
was what they did. She hasn't seen the movie, but like, it's interesting because this fat kid who asked for the ball back at the end has been like a particular target of this guy's scorn, and in fact, was had to run to hide in a cupboard when he instructed everyone in the class to throw their books at him. And yet, at the very end, when like he begs for his ball back, um, the guy like the reason he won't give it to this other businessman is he says like it's actually really important to that kid. And like, you know, so that, that like, I think, I think it goes to show that, like, he's not just a guy who, like, enjoys torturing kids for no reason. He actually does really like kids, and although he gives them a hard time, he fully intends to give that kid his ball back, even, like, at some personal cost. And well. like you, with the Cancer Girls, I was wondering when the sex would start. Right. It was interesting because, like, during the moment with the, the, I wasn't, the I wasn't actually. writing girl, Disclaimer, no. sort of, like, a beat where, like, the guy's, like, young enough, you know, he, he could even be, like, late 20s, early 30s, and, like, you know, the girl is sort of, like, just this um, world-weary, like, 18-year-old, and you could almost see them, like, if it were, like, a longer movie, <laughs> having this sort of, like, if, if not actual romance, sort of, like, the professional-esque sort of flirtation, this knowledge that, like, if the age gap weren't so much, perhaps they'd be kindred spirits. Right, right. Or, like, City um, of Lost Children. So, I mean, but... that, that, that's there if you want to see it, you know? Because they could have easily, like, made that poetry-writing character, like, a dude who, like, reminds her of himself at, like, a younger age, or, like, the man he once hoped to be. His, his, own, his own artistic. Sort of, like, a, a sexy Italian girl who's probably on the cover of Italian Maxim right now. His own artistic episode. And yeah, no, no, no. It's like, it's Italian Daria, you know? Yeah. I mean, so so basically, it's kind of the Academy Award prospects. It really, you know, is, is a, a, a showpiece for this one guy, this writer, director, and star. I mean, the entire movie is just sort of him handing it up in spectacular fashion. And like, I mean, the kids are great, but I mean, they're pretty much sort of comic foils for him. So, I mean, it's really. As a film, just kind of like unbalanced. I mean, like he's great, and somebody should give him—I don't know—somebody should teach him English and like put him in a movie with the like, Roberto, yeah, like, the Roberto Benigni Memorial Oscar Award or something like that. You know, right? The Roberto Benigni's fine. Um, I mean, you know, undead. Not undead as in he's a zombie. I just mean he's not dead. <laughs> right. Um, so I mean, like you know, I I enjoyed this one a lot, but like I don't. Um, don't think it has much chance. I don't think anyone sees one way. So moving on, I guess. Yes, moving on. Uh, so the Tonto Woman, a Western, and I, I from this point I'm going to compress just a little bit because we are we're actually coming up on like half an hour or forty minutes or something like that. Oh so, wow! Honestly, how do people put up with this? I know, right? Uh, if you know what, if you're woman... still if you're still listening to what to what we're talking about, that means we've like won we've won like four or five small victories. At, no, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that you're in love with one or both of us. <laughs> uh, in which case, I'm like, I wish you'd let you know because, like, I really do, uh, you know, want to have sex with a woman at some point. <laughs> in your um, it's, before it's, I die, yeah, I've never, I've never really done it, and I just, I've heard a lot about it. I'd like to get that over with. Well, you could probably have sex with the Tonto woman. The, uh, right, the Tonto woman is, is based on, uh, first of all, it's in English. It's in, the, only, the, in the only film in English. Right, so like at that point in the evening, after like, you know, three other short films on English, it came sort of as a shock to hear like people talking in a way that like I don't have to like And again, read. long, 30, 35 minutes. Uh, a Western. Right, 30, 35 minutes, and I was actually surprised that we only, I only found on the end credits that it was... Uh, it's from the UK. It's British, but yeah. It's not the, it, and and then it appears, I believe, it was filmed in Spain because, I mean, as a Western, 
I find, and, you know, I mean, I, there's nothing that says that, like, Spain can, like, the United States. I mean, a lot of the great Westerns were filmed in Italy, but, but like, I thought it definitely had this sort of, like, feeling of authenticity to it. And, like, it surprised me that, like, you know, it was not, like, a thoroughly American film. In fact, there's nothing American about it. Um, For sure. So, uh, adapted from an Elmore Leonard short story uh, starring Francesco Quinn, uh, son of... Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, or? <laughs> son of Dr. Quinn, Man- no, son of Anthony Quinn, and uh, he is a cattle thief who uh, comes across a woman living alone in the unforgiving Western landscape of you know Rocky Hills and Buttes. I think there are Buttes. Are there Buttes in the movie? I'm not really uh, exactly sure like what constitutes a Butte, but I'll give you that. I'll, I'll... It seems about right. Um, right, so in the first we see of him, he actually is watching her from a distance as she sort of bees herself uh, topless. Boobies. Uh, there are by, boobies by, in this by movie. Pump. Yeah, no, you, see, you definitely see a little bit of boobies, which also, you know, I mean, gives us movies some points because, like, you know, serious films always contain boobies. Right, absolutely. So, um, in a totally non-titillating way. And then, and then he approaches her. She sort of goes to hide inside the house, and he sort of introduces himself and just says he's passing through, wants some water for his cattle. And when she sort of steps into the light, he sees that her, her face is tattooed with um, what can only be described as like you know, like let's say that like your buddy uh, passed out after a night of heavy drinking, and like you had you got a sharpie handy, and you might put sort of like a comical uh, mustache and beard on him. Yeah, or trace the path. The trace the path that the drool takes down your drunken buddy's right. So like we're talking face. about like black facial tattoos. But the the significance of this is that she has been she has been kidnapped and taken as a squaw. The term used in the movie is squaw by. Not our term. We we don't we don't endorse such uh, terminology. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very supporting, uh, poli- we, politically we, 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 incorrect. Native American woman is, is pretty much as far as we will go. Living but among the li- living among the Native Americans and made to live as a squaw to the Mojave tribe. And when she came back from her year of being kidnapped, her husband exiled uh, exiled her to this small house on the outskirts of his property until the cattle thief comes along and treats her right, takes her swimming in the lake, more boobies, and takes her to a nice dinner in town where the husband comes along. And right. uh, She's in sort of a problematic position with the husband because, like, while on the one hand, he's like, you know, he respects his, like, you know, husbandly duty to sort of care for and protect her after she's been, like, a slave to the Red Savage for, for many years. He really doesn't feel like having sex with her is basically like what it comes down to. So, like, he, oh no, she's damaged know, goods. She's damaged goods. She's absolutely damaged goods. So like, basically, she's in a situation where like he doesn't want to live with her. He doesn't even necessarily want to see her. But at the same time, it's made clear that like he definitely sure as hell doesn't want anyone else to you know uh, be taking her nude swimming and looking at her boobs. And in fact, have hired uh, three uh, straight out of Central Casting stock uh, Western heavies to sort of like look after her. And, like, uh, threaten anyone who would uh, uh, woo her. Oh, yeah. They ride up. You know, they ride up on their horse. One has a shotgun. The other has a rope. And they're like, hey, Mr. Cattle Thief, we're going to drag you. They're tobacco out of the side of their mouth and spitting meaningfully. The, the movie is told in, in flashback or in a circular narrative with a frame story of the cattle thief uh, who we discover has been shot very early in the film going going to 
going to confession. Anyway, so we probably made a hash of that plot, but there it is for what it's worth. It is by far, I think, the most beautifully shot of the of the five films. You know, it's yeah, just... no, I mean, it's, it's gorgeous cinematography of what I thought was the American West turns out to be Spain. Uh, but whatever it is, but just gorgeous crazy. landscapes, desert landscapes, gorgeous. I mean, beautiful light. You know the way. I mean, the way the light ripples on the lake as you know her naked boobies emerge from it was truly grandy. It was truly grand, truly majestic. You know, um, while I did enjoy the acting, my problem with this movie is the guy is sort of portrayed as a tough guy, and he's getting himself in a situation he knows is dangerous. He's warned at the beginning that like this is a bad idea for him to get involved with this woman who's married to, like, not only a rich and powerful man, but a rich and powerful man who owns a lot of cattle that he's previously stolen. And yet he sort of, like, goes ahead, gets himself into it. She warns him. And, and, and not only does he get himself into it, but, like, he marches her straight to the middle of the town, basically inviting the guy to come and confront him. And then the guy does confront him, and the guy steps, and, and, and the main character steps out of the restaurant and is shot to death. And you just you got you got to sort of raise an eyebrow at the screen and just be like, wait, that was it was that his, what was his plan all along? That like you know you figured like either he was going to turn out to be like such an amazing badass that like he could not be killed by like all the guys that were sent to kill him. That's and, the and Neo like, in the Matrix theory, right? Or that like he had like some sort of a clever plan of escape that like you know like he knew a back door to this restaurant nobody else knew and so that like he wasn't but, but there's something very unsatisfying to me about how like it's like a tough guy who I mean I mean really the only thing to be gathered is that like you know he knew that he was going to die and he did this anyway right I mean like like wouldn't you wouldn't you say that like he knew that he was probably going to get shot if he like tried to like make love to this woman. And, like, he gave them every chance to shoot him, and they shot him, and that's the end of the movie. Ending on a big, you know, a long sort of tracking shot, pushing in on a statue of Mary in the church as the guy goes to confession, the confession that you've already seen at the beginning of the movie. And uh, so I just didn't get the movie in a way. I didn't know, yeah, it didn't seem like there was any there there to me. I didn't, I kind of didn't get it, you know? Yeah, I mean, so it's gorgeous. Once again, the, the actors are, are very, you know, the, the, the girl as well. You could kind of see how like, she has a certain spunk. And, like, if you can get past the mustache that's tattooed to her face, she's sort of, like, <laughs> charming and, like, a Annie gets your guns all the Yeah, but way. who doesn't, you know, at a certain point, you got to settle, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, you know, and, and not, not to sound like the, the lowest common denominator again, but, like, I did... I did sort of, like, want a little bit of violence in this movie, you know? I feel like, you know, if you have a Western and the whole movie is predicated on, like, if you keep going out with this girl, you're going to get shot. Right. I definitely want to see somebody get shot, not just have somebody implied getting shot. Right, exactly. By the like, end of the movie. If you're, if you're going to go there, right? The, the idea being that, like, you know, the Western is built on... on... Uh, you know, man versus man and violence and women as chattels and who can tame the landscape and who can tame the women. And, and that's, if you're going to make a Western, you, you should engage all those areas of, you know, all those, those thematic areas. Yeah. So, you know, but if, if I had to guess, I'd say that this one might win. You think, you think just for the, just for the slickness of the cinematography or the beauty, the beauty of the landscape that's being photographed. Well, like I'm, I'm going back to my early, if you remember about uh, three hours ago in this conversation, I was right. talking about uh, West Bank story and why it won. And I don't think you can discount the fact that this one is the only one in English. Yeah. So like, look, if you're like an Academy Award voter, yeah. 
you know, you probably have some sort of career. You know, you don't have, like, all day to sit. I, well, unless you're a writer, in which case you actually do this year, have all day to sit around and watch movies because you're on strike. Right. But, um, but like, you know, and basically, like, you know, you have a lot of movies to watch. If it were me, I'd be hard-pressed just to watch all the movies that are the Best Picture nominees, that are the ones for, like, you know, Best, you know, Cinematography. I mean, I know those are specialized characters of voting. But basically, like, I feel like for most people, watching all the short film nominees every minute of them is not maybe a priority. And I feel like maybe you watch the first couple minutes of each one, and if something catches your eye, you continue to watch it. Um, and the fact that, like, this one is sort of like a Western, which, you know, is a fun genre, a genre that people enjoy watching, and in English sort of like makes it a little more accessible than, like, let's say, the the one that's uh, from Denmark about, like, the three girls dying in, like, a cancer war. Danish, Danish like, cancer girls? Serious, yeah, like a serious film, you know, but, like, you know, kind of, you know, in a way, like a slog, you know, and if you're just trying to, like, cross things off your list, you know, this one is much more of, like, it's art, but it's also, like, you know, it's entertaining, and it's, it's there's something familiar about it, like, you know, tough guys in the old west. It's definitely, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Om Natan is uh, definitely a slog. I mean, I think I... I think I'm more sympathetic to it than you are. And there were moments when I was like, oh, God, when will this be over? So, yeah, I, I don't know. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know if another a comedy is going to win this year, just because I don't think any comedy is quite as, like, you know, any any comedy that's on this list is quite as, like, ridiculous, like, and so, like, so over the top as West Bank story that, like, you just have to give it to them for their sheer audacity. But, um... Anyway, there's, there's one more film we have to talk about before we make our final prediction. Right, absolutely. The Mozart of Pickpockets. Yes, it's another Italian film. So it's Le Mozart de, de Pickpockets. Apparently, Pickpockets is the same in Italian and in English, by it's, the way. Uh, it's French, but never mind. Is it in French? Yeah, Wait, French. I thought this was from Italy. No, it's not. No, French. And they speak France in it. And the director's name is Philippe uh, Poyet-Viard. Did we learn one thing from... Um, this podcast is that I was raised in a bar and I don't really know anything <laughs> that that happens basically outside of Manhattan. So, so the, uh, the the story is about sort of two dim-witted middle-aged uh, Parisian pickpockets. And not even pickpockets, more just sort of like um, associate pickpockets in that they work, they, they themselves don't do any of the pickpocketing. They work with um, a lighter-fingered gentleman who have a scam where, like, they'll actually do some pickpocketing, and these two guys, our main characters, will sweep in and pretend to be cops and, like, pretend to, like, arrest them. And, like, during the during the sort of hubbub of the arrest, the actual pickpocketing will take place. Right. So it's, like, sort of, like, you strike everybody with, like, a big fake scene, and that's when you really steal their wallets and purses. It's, um, a, it's, a, Mamet, it's a David Mamet-esque, you know, cross, double-cross, and then triple-cross, you know? Right, so I mean, but they're clearly just scraping by. They're not doing uh, that well. And, and, the, and, and the, the, day, the pickpockets, the senior pickpockets, don't treat them very, very good. Right, but the senior pickpockets, you know, their comeuppance is very quick and coming because early in the movie, they're now by, in fact, the real police, and, and our heroes just barely escape because their part in the scam hasn't really kicked in yet. But um, in the in the in the Michigas, they find themselves possessed of a. Small child, a small sort of Arab-looking child, who uh, to be, I believe doesn't that turn out to be mute. He never says anything during the entire movie. No, yeah, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a line. They speculate that he's deaf and mute, and they're trying to get rid of the kid, but the kid 
uh, you know, the kid follows them and won't leave, and eventually they're won over by the cuteness and let the kid stay with them. Long story short, uh, turns out the kid, you know, their business, their pickpocketing business really goes downhill. Uh, until it turns out that the kid is himself a master thief and can crawl under the seats in a movie theater retrieving wallets from bags every in every row. Right. I'd like to point out this, uh, at this point that the movie has a, a rather pronounced ghost ship moment. Right. And that those of you who know me, which I'm assuming is, is all zero of you that are still listening, um, <laughs> you know that, that I'm thinking uh, with the ghost ship, is that like whatever information is revealed in the poster, the title of the movie, or, like, by, like, the previews that, like, we've all seen. Like, when that becomes... So, like, if the movie is, like, Jurassic Park, when, when the dinosaurs do- show up, that's the right. shit moment. Or, yeah, when it dawns on the characters. When the characters come to realize <laughs> what, what, what the, the audience o- knows because we know the title of the movie. So, basically, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that it's about, like, 20 minutes in the movie, if not a little bit more, yeah. that they, they come to realize that the kid is, in fact, a great pickpocket. That, like, most of the movie is sort of, like, they're sort of like bumbling attempts to like be parents and like, you know, like, like they, they like make a bunch of food and like serve it to the kid. And they have like an earlier, they have an, an early inept attempt to use the kid as part of a pickpocketing scheme before they find out how good the kid is at like pickpocketing on his own. Right. Um, yeah. And, and he's, then, and he's then uncooperative. It's, it's yeah. Towards, I'd say, you know, at least you did towards the end of the movie and not even more. That it turns out the kid's a great pickpocket, and then the movie ends. Um, kind of on an ambivalent, yeah, kind of on an ambivalent note. Where, where uh, they're celebrating the kid's great success by going to a bowling alley. The main character pulls out his fake police badge from like the very first thing when they were doing the earlier scan, and tries to like sort of scare off his would-be. Um, aggressors with it. And of course, they turn out to actually be real cops, presumably in some sort of Parisian cop bowling league. And the very last shot of the movie is this like really abrupt shot of the kid riding in the back of a police car, sort of grinning ear to ear, presumably just enjoying being in a car for the first time in his life. And that's that's the end of the movie. And I mean, I remember it, it ended sort of so quickly, like, you know, on this very short shot that like, I almost felt that there was like a technical problem. Right. Which... As far as we know, there wasn't. As far as we know, it's, it was supposed to end with like no, right? Because the credits, the, the credits and, did and, and, like, roll after that. You know, the, the credit, the credits did roll, but like there was like a sort of a smash cut to black. And I then, like, think, in a way, seconds. that the movie failed to deliver on the promise of its title, which is that like I want to see the you know your five million incredibly clever ways in which this kid picks pockets, you know, where this... No, I agree. I want it to basically be goodwill hunting, but instead of math, it was people's money. Right, exactly. It's crime. Right, and, and I mean, like, like, basically the kid does one thing, which is crawling under the seats in movie theaters, which I don't really... The, the, the title... I'd say it's an accident that, like, you know, maybe he's the most epic pickpocket, but we certainly haven't seen enough to really justify that level of uh, enthusiasm. That much hyperbole. Yeah, so I mean, I have to say this is another one where it's like, although individual moments in it and performances in it, I've, I enjoyed a lot. The odd couple shtick does play with the two French guys who kind of play house with this kid. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because like early in the movie, another character makes a joke about them being like gay. And it it actually can't be ruled out that they are gay because like one of them is clearly sort of the more feminine one, and they do live together, and they do sort of seem to be like light, and they actually have matching tattoos. Right. 
Though, I, I that could be an army thing. For I thought that was an army thing because they it there was some reference made to back when they were in the service. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought that this actually might be sort of bravado on their part. So it's like you're not even really supposed to believe that. In so part, it's it's more like it's, thing pull into it. it's less it's less in the navy than like the village people's song in the navy. Right. I don't know. I guess Paris. I guess France does have a navy. I mean, they they have a coastline. I just don't know. Um, I'm, I I never. I can't even recall any sort of great French military battles that like don't involve sails. Right. So. All right, so I mean, I guess the time's coming. We all have to make our own picks. It's my prediction that the Academy will go with the Bergman-esque dreariness but moral seriousness of three girls, three beautiful teenage girls dying of cancer uh, in Omnaten or at night. Though if I controlled uh, all the hundreds of Academy voters, thousands maybe, it would be the substitute, which I like. I like the comedy. I like the anarchy of it, and I like the sense that you know the lesson that the um, the lesson that the kids have to teach the adults that life does not have to be so serious, and there are more things. There are things more important than uh, you know just advancement and kissing the ass of whatever bigwig happens to be in the room. That would be my pick, but I think it's going to be uh, Danish girls dying of cancer. Matt, this is tough. Um, I, my personal favorite, I have to say, although just keep in mind, I, I don't like wholeheartedly embrace any of these with both hands. I mean, like they're all they're all good. I, I didn't hate any of them, but also like you know, I didn't. I wasn't completely seduced by any of them. You know, yeah. That like you know, but I'd have to say the. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in its original language. The Argentine Tango movie. I thought I, I I have a certain you know fondness for comedies, and although I like the substitute, I felt like it was sort of too much focused on this one guy and it wasn't like there wasn't enough filmmaking in it for me to like give it a nod on this most serious of Hollywood nights. But I felt like the Tango Argentine movie was both like the comedy was good and it was it was shot creatively and I did actually like the twist at the end. I thought that made it was a very well done short film, you know, it was like it made the most of its limited running time. It sort of like left you smiling and feeling like it was it was well done, and I, I'd really like to see um, uh, Mr. Guy Thighs, uh do another film. I mean, every other movie besides the, the substitute, uh, you know, that we talked about tonight, I felt like was sort of meandering in some way that like either didn't really pay off or maybe went on too long or like you know, whereas that you know Argentine Tango, you know, nothing else. It was like it was very tight. It was very efficient with its storytelling. You know, it all wrapped up in a new little package. Um, you know, that, that like it was not uh, self-indulgent in any way. It was it was a well-made film, and so that 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 would be my personal choice. I'm actually gonna. I would not be surprised at all if at night uh, one simply because like it is sort of like you know, it's well acted. Um, you know, it's a serious drama. It's you know, I don't know. It's the longest, and in a way, I feel like. You know, I, I don't think you can discount that to some extent. Yeah, like, if you're you know, not gonna, if you're not gonna kill, if you're not gonna get killed by Nazis, you may as well die of cancer for you know 39 minutes of your maximum 40 minute right. short. But film. I actually, you know what? I actually am gonna basically just because like I like disagreeing with Matt whenever possible. <laughs> that maybe the Tonto woman is going to have a leg up just because of like 
if there is anything to be learned by uh, the aforementioned uh, Victoria Westing story, it's that, like, maybe uh, whatever film is, like, the most entertaining slash accessible, you know, the film that's sort of in English, a film that's, like, Western, which is, like, you know, keep in mind, Westerns are hot this year, 310 Yuma, uh, you know, very popular film, and so that, like, I could just imagine if... You know, and, and I'm assuming that, like, you know, the people who are voting on this, like, you know, maybe they get, like, a DVD in the mail with all of them on. That may not be the case, actually. They're just like, you know... Um, no, I think I you actually. Imagine. I think you have to sit through the screenings. I think you actually actually have to go to like the Directors Guild Theater or something and sit there, and you know that your their attendance is taken, like high school, you know, and that only those people are eligible to vote. So nobody gets screeners anymore. No, you can get screeners for the features. I mean, it's assumed that you'll see the features, but there's no chance if you're an Academy voter. There's no chance to see the. The um the shorts unless you go to a screen. Oh, that, no, but that's why that's why I figured that like they would just send out like DVDs and they'd be like, "Here's all the shorts." Uh, yeah, but then, know, then you don't anyway, know you don't we'll, know if we'll anyone has watched the them. For the future podcast, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 have to. So anyway, there you have it. The Oscar shorts. Uh, salute your shorts. Yeah, uh, I haven't even bothered thinking about any of the other categories of Oscar, but like now there's one category that's probably going to go by in about 45 seconds. And I remember in a previous year, they didn't even let the winners go up to the stage. They actually set up a podium in the aisle. At the back. They had a microphone at the back of the, at the, back right. of the house. So like, and that's, that's where we just like spent an hour like dissecting. So, um, right. Imagine, that, imagine, uh, imagine. If you agree with Matt, it's uh, at night. If you view me, it's the Tonto Woman. Uh, and neither of us thought those two films were worthy of winning. So, all in all, uh, a lot of agreement coming out of this long, long discussion. Right, yeah, yeah. All in all, in all, we're really batting zero here. It's, I mean, it's, I, I guess all, all that we can agree on is the Mozart of Pickpocket is, uh, sucks. Is not, yeah. It's something that actually sucks. It's nobody's favorite. It's not going to be the Academy's favorite. It's not our favorite. That's not, that, yeah, um, no. Not, neither of us. And actually, you know, you know one, one more thing I would um, like to mention is that, like, I would think that... There are a lot of short films that come out of the United States that, like, everybody who goes to film school in the United States, which is a lot of people, um, you know, does, like, a short film. And, like, they all probably want to win the Academy Award. And it struck me as interesting that four out of the five so actually all of the short films, none of them are from the United States. Not, not a single not one. one. And I don't know what that means, that, like, maybe Americans suck at filmmaking. That doesn't seem quite right, because, like, I bet you if you look at, like, the Best Picture nominees, like, a lot of those directors are from the United States. So I don't know if it's just that, like, I, I don't know what to make of it. I just found it interesting that, like, you know, Americans uh, are are completely unrepresented in the short film category, uh, even though I'm sure, um, you know, you go to a film festival and you'll probably see a ton of American short films. Right. So go, go figure. So for Matthew Belinke, I am Matthew Rather. Visit us at www.overthinkingit.com, and we will see you next time. Enjoy the Oscars.